We're just uh, very glad to have everyone uh, coming into today's webinar. We're going to do another double header this week because of the war that's going on today. On Wednesday, we'll be hearing from uh, Brigadier General Avigdor Kahalani, of course, the hero of the 1973 Yom Kippur War. And we're going to be talking about uh, the really the similarities, differences between that surprise attack on Yom Kippur 50 years ago and uh, what happened on October 7th, the Hamas uh, in, uh, invasion of southern Israel and over 1,200 dead within the first day or so, uh, just a horrible slaughter. And then tomorrow, on Thursday, 3 p.m. Israel time, we'll be talking to Saul Singer. Many of you may know him as one of the co-authors, one of the authors of the book Startup Nation. He and his uh, uh, co-author, Dan Sonor, have a new book out all about the resilience of Israel. What's the secret to Israel managing to face so much terror, rockets, wars, and everything, and still uh, progressing and, and overcoming all of it? And we'll talk to him about that. It's a brand new book that so much addresses what's going on uh, today uh, in, in Israel, this war. So, uh, in talking to uh, Avigdor Kahalani uh, earlier today, we'll bring you an interview with him. We had him at our Feast of Tabernacles about seven weeks ago. I believe it was on Tuesday, uh, the 3rd of October, on our Israeli guest night. We have several thousand Christians from around the world here in Jerusalem to celebrate the biblical Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. Uh, here, and uh, we had uh, General Kahalani uh, as a guest speaker because it was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, which many, you know, it was a surprise attack on a Jewish high holiday, very similar to what happened on uh, October 7th, and uh, taken by surprise, and really many consider it Israel's worst or darkest moment, the biggest threat to the state of Israel up until then. Uh, and we wanted to talk to him, what was it like then? What's it like now? And also to ask him how he thinks the young generation of Israeli soldiers are fighting. So we're going to start out uh, with our interview with him. Uh, General Kahalani had a long uh, career in the IDF, especially as a tank commander and uh, fought in 67 in the War of Attrition along this uh, Suez Canal from uh, 1969-70, around then. Of course, uh, helped uh, keep the Golan in Israeli hands in 1973, fought in uh, the first Lebanon War later, and uh, then became a politician with the Third Way Party and later served as the chairman of the Society for the Welfare of Israeli Soldiers, and really is a, a credible voice, a very kind man uh, to be a soldier. You're just surprised at how pleasant uh, um, a, a guy he is, uh, but also a lot of wisdom speaking from his generation. So let's go to our interview with uh, General Kahalani that uh, we just recorded uh, just a couple hours ago. General Kahalani, it's great to have you here on the ICJ webinar series. We appreciate your time. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. And you? Uh, we're doing well under the circumstances. And uh, look, we had you at the Feast of Tabernacles uh, about seven weeks ago, and uh, you really spoke a lot of wisdom from your generation about how Israel faces wars, and every generation has to be able to defend itself. This just seems to be what the Jewish people have faced down through time. Uh, but it was very informative and very encouraging uh, to, to hear that. But since then, just a few days later, you, you spoke to us, I believe, on a Tuesday night. And on Saturday morning, October 7th, we had you, you you were there to speak about on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, and then we have October 7th, another horrible surprise attack on a Jewish high holiday, and this must have been very crushing for you. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's a surprise to all of us. So I was so surprised. I, I didn't know I fought in uh, in Gaza Strip in '67. I was actually I was the first Israeli tank crossing the border at that time, and they hit my tank. I jumped to the second one. They hit my tank and it's the second one. But uh, the the ratio at that time uh, between them and us, it was the uh, Egyptian army that uh, waiting for us at that time. And now it's um, you have um, the Hamas all over, and the ratio is uh, completely different. We have three division over there, and they have a hard mission to uh, to accomplish in Gaza Strip. And uh, I can tell you, it was uh, for me uh, what I saw in the morning. It was a shame for our country, shame for the army. I don't know um, how they were so lucky. And uh, this day, and uh, surprised me that we didn't have enough army to protect ourselves. It surprised me how they cut the fence, and they come to the houses. How they kill so many people, and we didn't have uh, any answer for them. And uh, but I'm try to not to think about that because we will investigate everything. And after that, now we have to be uh, care about our soldiers. They are fighting over there. We lost uh, many soldiers, and uh, we lost uh, many civilian people. And it's it's um is a deep deep experience because um this is the first time that happened to us that um the feeling that the civilian people in our in, in Israel uh, is uh, that uh, yeah, maybe the nation cannot protect them, uh, the country cannot protect them anymore. And this is um is it's never happened in our uh, it wasn't the Holocaust we didn't have a country, but uh, from then it's uh, all the time that we have any Jew in the world something happened to him, we send many aircraft to uh you know to support him to evacuate him, whatever. Here it's completely different, and we have uh, to change everything after that, but we. I hope we will accomplish the mission to destroy the Hamas. It, it, it's not so easy, not so easy. And uh, I hope nobody will stop us uh, soon. Yes. Um, look, uh, you mentioned at the feast that, uh, you know, October 7th, I think October 6th was the exact 50th anniversary of the start of the Yom Kippur War in 1973. But you mentioned at the feast that it wasn't such a surprise that Israel already knew something was up. Can you take us back to that a little bit more? Yeah, and, uh, on the on the fifth of um, October, uh, it was the sixth of October uh, on the Yom Kippur War, and we um, we talk about surprise and that uh, the uh, enemy Syria and uh, Egypt surprised us. I don't agree with that. Because we uh, we saw all the facts uh, from the Hermon Mountain, you can see, uh, can observe um, Damascus, and all the equipment near the Suez Canal was ready to cross the Suez Canal, and we saw everything. That, but you said, you know, we're strong enough to protect ourselves. We have enough power to protect um, the the country, and. Um, the main problem in the Young People War was the uh, to start mobilization. In Israel, it's now is a little bit different between uh, our time and the, the, the fifty years ago. The eighty percent of the army was the reserve, and you have to call everybody from home, and everybody run to his tank, to his truck, half truck, and to move with his unit to the uh, to the border. And uh, it's the main problem is um, is it's controlled by the government to start mobilization. The main problem is um, even they knew all the facts, they didn't make the decision to start mobilization. If they started two days before that, I believe uh, we didn't have a Yom Kippur war. They scared from many reasons. I can um, uh, uh, talk about it, but. This, this is not a problem. We didn't start mobilization, and the mobilization started in Yom Kippur in the morning. That we knew everything that the war is going to uh, start a few hours from then. 
And uh, this was the, uh, the, and we found ourselves with the active army, uh, start to stop them, to block them, and until the reserve unit will come and join us. In my area that I was um, control the, uh, what we call the Valley of the Tears, near north of Kunetra in the Golan Heights, it was the 7th Brigade, controlled by the uh, uh, by uh, Janusz Bengal, that was he's the commander, and I was battalion commander. I had a um, few companies, uh, battalion and I had a mission to block them uh, near Kunetra, something in this area. You you had been in the Sinai, but you were moved up there about ten days before. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. This is a, this is one of the signs that I talk about that we knew that uh, in Rosh Hashanah, which we had a New Year a holiday. We uh, we um, they they asked me to uh, fly with my crew to the Golan Heights, and they gave me uh, from Warhouse they gave me uh, new tanks, and I was ready. I moved to the Golan Heights and before I was lucky. Of course, I was lucky. I uh, finished the old days exercise on Sinai. I was ready, I was ready for that. This is that. Uh, the, the question why they send me uh, with the 44 tanks from Sinai to the Golan Heights, it's going to be a war. It's going to be, it, there is a threat in our uh, in our country. And um, this is a, it's a big sign that uh, the people know about that. But you have to be, be more sensitive in the moment that you send so many tanks to protect the uh, Golan Heights and sensitive to the situation. Uh, intelligence people, you know, and to see whatever. And yes, um, I was lucky, and uh, my mission was to block them. We uh, blocked them for four days, and after that, we fought. Uh, we invaded to uh, Syria, and we stopped 35 kilometers from Damascus. And you had 44 tanks against uh, 10 times. No, 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 I, no. I, I didn't have. I have. I came with 44 tanks, but in the first moment, the half of my battalion they took from another area to send into mm. another area. And I control uh, um, uh, two play, two companies, and uh, you know I I lost uh, it's it changed it's it's uh, I lost many many tanks and many uh, of my commanders were killed. At the last moment, we survived three tanks. I think it's uh, Tuesday uh, noon that they came with um, the the last attack to the Golan Heights. Uh, and, uh, they brought the forces from uh, Damascus. Which they call the Rifat Assad the forces, and it's a more than one division, and they, they try to accomplish the mission. All the Golan Heights into their hands after 24 hours, and we stopped them, stopped them, stopped them. The last combat was in uh, Tuesday. Tuesday, and uh, I saw well, in my battalion survived three tanks, something like that, mm-hmm. no more than that. And um, yeah, but but uh, it's um. We won because we we were better than them. We fought for our country. We uh, we won because um, the um, uh, we had the feeling that we protect you know all the nation behind us and that people look at us and uh, we won. Maybe uh, the God protect us um, over there. He I believe he was there because the ratio between them and that. And in this situation, particularly, it was like uh, 10, 10 tanks, more than 10 tanks, said that. Syrian tanks against our one. And that, uh, 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 yeah, uh, but I'm, t- I'm talking about the result. We found in the Valley of the Tears more than 250 tanks and more uh, like uh, 50 vehicles and other vehicles in the Valley of the Tears. We stopped them. But there was there was a uh, probably several days there where everything seemed like it was hanging in the balance, and it was your bravery and courage of, of you and your troops and the Israeli army. But uh, I mean, there was even talk that uh, Israel might escalate it to uh, more destructive weapons, shall we say? Uh, yeah, you know, it's um, you can. Ask many questions about uh, the Yom Kippur War and uh, to try to uh, identify it. 
what were the reason and, uh, and uh, how come that we uh, we almost lost our country and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's you know I believe in God mm. and he, uh, you know after every uh, few years he is uh, coming uh, to the area to see what's going on with the mm. Jewish nation mm. and if you see that we behave not so well he came and gave us uh, one kick and he said uh, you have uh, still have problem in uh, the Middle East Mm-hmm. And take care of yourself, and now uh, we, uh, yeah, it's it's happened on the seventh of October exactly. And I believe it's uh, we we sleep mm-hmm. and we solved everything. It's okay. We sometimes we behave like um, the American. I don't know what what we are going to do in the weekend, and mm-hmm. uh, which country we are going to travel, you know. And uh, we forgot that we have uh, to. Um, to open our eyes and to hear what's going on and over the border. And yeah. uh, it, it's a lesson. Mm. Take it like a lesson mm. to the Jewish nation. Uh, uh, but we, we're strong enough, but sometimes we're stupid. Yeah. Uh, would that Israel could uh, relax even for one day and uh, go on vacation or something, but it doesn't seem uh, the enemy's going to let you I know one of the things that, uh, you know, worked in Israel's favor, according to some analysts, that they did attack on Yom Kippur, so the roads were empty, which made the mobilization of the troops, uh, the roads were completely empty, so you could get to your base, get to the front lines a lot faster uh, in, in response. And I know the October 7th attack on our early morning, I think if they had, if Hamas had gotten across the border with so many terrorists, 2,500 to 3,000, on a regular morning when you're taking your kids to school and you're heading for work on some of those highways right near the border, it would have been an even worse bloodbath in in my assessment. I, I don't know. We, we don't know because uh, we had a big party, like uh, 3,000 people that was dancing, you know, yeah. and they... Uh, uh, drink maybe uh, alcohol. Uh, they didn't know where they are. Uh, they were lucky. They have uh, a lot of luck in this day. It, uh, you ask question, how come that uh, in our country it happened to us? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's uh, it was a holiday. I don't know how many uh, soldiers was in the base at that time because uh, they have vacation, mm. and you know it's. Uh, when I was division commander in the Golan Heights, uh, half of the soldiers uh, sometimes uh, they would go home. But uh, here, it, my feeling that uh, more than half of soldiers were in the home because uh, yeah, uh, so there is uh, no no trade uh, anymore. This is the feeling. You know, it's we we sometimes naive. We give so um, a few thousand people to work in Israel in those days and said, oh, okay, we give them permission to work in Israel and they will appreciate and uh, they will not attack. Uh, we give uh, the money from Qatar to come to uh, Gaza Strip and they will very appreciate about that. And of course, they have a dream to attack us, but they uh, delayed it. Uh, we live, we're stupid. I tell you, we have to look straight to our eyes and they said, we we're stupid mm-hmm. and we behave like a European country. We behave in the country, Middle East country. In Middle East country, you have, you have, you have to talk in another language. No Yiddish. Do you know Yiddish? <laughs> no, we sometimes talk with them Yiddish. We have to talk Arabic. Mm-hmm. Arabic is not last, just a language. Arabic is mentality. And you have to understand the mentality, and they um, and uh, I hope I believe after this war now we we have to finish that uh, we have a big problem in the north. Now I don't know what's going on there. Say uh, my feeling that we are going to attack them, but after this war it's going to be a revolution in our country. Yeah. We will change many things, all the rules, and I have to open fire. And the yeah, um, the economic problem and the government problem and, and uh, many many things and, and the army will change 
all the uh, strategic near the border. Um, even we will, uh, the people in the street will uh, behave nicer in in my point of view. Um, there are videos circulating where um, IDF uh, retired generals, like from your generation, are, uh, that uh, they're apologizing to the young soldiers right now fighting in Gaza because they looked on them as the TikTok generation, that they were soft, life was too easy, all the high tech, relying on uh you know, too many uh, techno gadgets and such, and they didn't think they had the fighting spirit. You have uh, maybe sons. I know you have uh, grandsons in in the reserves or in the military. How do you think this generation is doing in meeting the the challenge right now? I tell you, um, in my generation, they call us espresso generation because they developed the espresso <laughs> machine. And that uh, we talk about the TikTok generation, whatever. Um, first, I have uh, two tank commanders in my uh, family, uh, two of my son, but they are too old now to serve the army. Uh, we have uh, our granddaughter, she is, uh, and now uh, we have two tank commanders, the um, close friend uh, to my uh, two both grand uh, granddaughter. And, um, and all my friends and uh, many, many people that I know, and um, and I, I adopt the battalion that I fought in the 73, 77 battalion, and I have a contact with them, and I take care about all the funeral and all the people they um, injured. Uh, my feeling that uh, the new generation is a good generation. The, um, they study how to have the responsibility for the country. The motivation is very high. They are ready, you know, we had a demonstrate uh, here in uh, Tel Aviv uh, for uh, many, many months, and we saw some people not uh, join the army if something will happen. And I, I told about it uh, many times that I said, in the moment that somebody will call them, they immediately will join to the army. The, no question about that. that. Those people talk about that, but I don't believe them. And I I believe the moment that somebody get the feeling that somebody is going to destroy his country, he will join. And the new generation is good generation. He is a professional what he's doing. Um, what is important, important is the leadership. They have a leadership. You can see many officers were killed, and it's mean they in the front. And another thing, they uh, they understand this war is um, uh, we have to win uh, because without uh, uh, winning in this war, maybe we have a threat in the future of our life. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uh, and make them more professional. And they coordinate between I like a like a general in the Israel Army, I can tell you they are working well between the infantry, the engineers, the armor corps, the air force, the navy, whatever. They are working well and I'm very proud what they are doing. Mm -hmm. Uh you uh, especially with the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, I'm sure you were addressing a lot of soldiers, a lot of different units and I don't know if you've been called out to try and uh, boost the morale of some of the troops now. What, what's your message to this generation of uh, soldiers for in the Israeli? Um, you know, it's uh, King Solomon have said uh, in Hebrew, I will say that Dor Hulech Vidor Bam Veharet Lamo Medet. King Solomon said, Kohelet. He said, one generation go, one generation come, and uh, the country stay forever. And this is, um, is it's, um, I don't have to talk about that, but everybody knows it's, uh, we protect the country from generation to generation. My father was a fighter when I was in the kindergarten. When he came back home, he said, it's gonna be peaceful and quiet for 40 years. It's a joke in our country, just give us two weeks. And he didn't know that he uh, 
he, he, he will fight with me together in 67. And he didn't know that he's going to fight again in 73 with Teresa. And this is a, we are not naive anymore. We know that generation after generation taking care of the country. What the message is that in your turn, you have to hold the flag in your hand. And it means that to hold the flag is that you have responsibility for, for the people in our country. And in your duty, you have to, to do your job. If you are soldiers, you have to do it. This is, this is um, the message that I, uh, when I talk to them and I travel to the South, talk with the soldiers, the message is um, we trust you. We believe in you. You are professional. At the moment you got an order to move forward, do it. Look straight and take with you three pictures. One, your house, your home. Another one is the flag of the country and you understand that the nation behind you. And another one, the third one, those pictures from what happened in Beria, Faraza, or whatever, and what yeah. they have done to our people. Mm-hmm. And you know the reason why you are going to fight. Mm-hmm. This is if you you have to... to um, to get the courage to fight. And courage you can take from some picture that you bring with you to the war. And uh, I know we first met in Washington when you were getting interested in politics. I think you were forming the Third Way Party and it come to uh, Washington, D.C. I was lobbying for Israel in Congress at the time. And... Uh, um, when did you first become aware of, of Christian support for Israel? Uh, how important do you think it is? And what is your message to, to us as Christians who want to stand with Israel? How can we best help now? I, I think the first time that I met a Christian from the United States, when I was a general laser army, they came to visit me in, uh, on the, in the Golan Heights. And they came to visit me in uh, after that, in um, Command General Staff College, when I was commander, another job that I have done. And um, I flew to give some uh, give lectures in, in the United States. I was surprised. I didn't know about uh, the Christian people. I didn't know, I didn't know the, uh, how to pray and whatever. I met some Christian people when I studied in 78, 79, in Command General Staff College in uh, Fort Leavenworth. Kansas, not in the jail. <laughs> I was there and I met, and I had a close friend that uh, we, uh, they came to my house. I was in their house and uh, and I found even, I I, I, I went with them to, to the jail to see how uh, they, they pray. And I was surprised they, some, some of the part that it comes from the Bible. And of course they said, amen, 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 whatever. It surprised me. And I found people, they um, really care, about, I can see the faces, I'm, I have a lot of experience, really care about our nation, and uh, they care about good relationship between the Jewish nation to Christian people, and I trust them. I start to trust them. And, you know, in our country, some people say, no, they have uh, some uh, secret uh, uh, goals. No, no, I found... Uh, the people, the Christian people that uh, you represent them, they um, really care about our, our country, really care about the Jewish people. And, you know, sometimes I think you love us more than we love ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, we appreciate And I know that I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, with you. And this is the reason that I came to talk. And, um, of course, I'm, I meet, uh, I met many uh, groups coming from uh, abroad and uh, and I talked with them and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you invited me and I have the chance to talk with you and because of that you interview me now mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm going to be a famous. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, you're talking about the, when you came to our feast uh, almost two months ago, and on our Israeli guest night, and on the near the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, and there was some opposition to you coming by some religious Jews who think we're all uh, missionaries or thirsting for Armageddon or whatever. But it's great to hear you say you've you've come to trust our support. And uh, I don't know, you know, in in seventy three, in sixty seven. You you didn't know this support was there, and it really hadn't developed yet. But how much of a difference does Christian support mean to the nation of Israel now that you're not alone? Ah, I know that. Uh, of course, when I was uh, a chairman of the well-being uh, for the soldiers, yeah. and uh, we had a donation from Christian people, a lot of donation. They uh, support and support the soldiers. I know that, and I know that for sure where the money come from. And they, uh, they support the soldiers, support the idea, and they gave the soldiers the feeling that they uh, they really care about them. You know, it's not uh, easy to take money from somebody and from his uh, budget and uh, his uh, food that he have to eat. And you give um, a lot of money, uh, millions of million of dollars, I know that, mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, the money um, went, I, I was uh, responsible for doing that. And the money, um, I send it to the units um, to buy exactly what they need. And even we build some building for that mm-hmm. and for them, for well-being. And um, yeah, you, you, um, your people support the IDF. And uh, uh, they say that they hold the flag. Uh, they know some uh, even our songs, and I listen to them. They uh, sing the Israeli songs. Surprise me! Don't understand what they sing, but they uh, sing the songs. And yeah, we we appreciate. I'm very familiar with that, and I can say this straight to the camera. Thank you very much. What you have done for the country. Thank you very much what you are doing for our nation, our soldiers. And uh, of course, um, I feel like uh, we are a uh, uh, close family. We, uh, we, uh, you are Christian. Okay, it's okay with me, no problem. And uh, I'm a Jew, but uh, we can work together and uh, we have to achieve the goal together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. General Kalan is talking about uh, this uh, uh, wealth, uh, the Society for the Well-Being of the Israeli Soldiers. They give them uh, places for relaxing recreation, weekend getaways if they're injured, helping them with uh, medical rehab therapy and things like that. Uh, You went into um politics for a while the third way you've met say you met arafat you've met uh uh abbas abu mazen the still the leader of the palestinian authority do you think uh, given the events of october 7th and since uh, what is your prospects for peace with the, the arabs and even within israel you say there needs to be a revolution here what are you talking about here in, in Jewish-Arab relations between the river and the sea? I tell you that um, it, uh, it's very complicated. Uh, I was a uh, Knesset member in the parliament, and after that I was a minister of uh, interior security, and I met Arafat, like you mentioned, twice. He fell in love with me. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Abu Mazen was in my house, and we talk a lot. Uh, I'm not naive. I thought maybe we can find a way to to live together in the Middle East. And you know, I I was I vote for uh, also agreement. The first time, second time, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the reason that I built my party the third way, and. Um, and I thought maybe we can find, because we tired from war, maybe we'll find a way how to live together. And um, I'm very disappointed for that. 
and I'm gonna try to sing uh, for uh, long range. Uh, it's not gonna be a solution here. Uh, this is uh, some kind of hatred. Mm. They feel that uh, we uh, took their country, and it's not true. And uh, they uh, they hate us. I, I didn't teach my kids to hate somebody that he, they are fighters. My father didn't teach me to hate somebody because I was fighter. They hate us, and when you hate, you think all the way, all you thought is how to kill they have from our country and which kind of interest we, we want from them. Working together, building together, and they can lose many things. But look what happened in Gaza Strip. They can be a, like a Paris of the Middle East. You have a very nice beach. They can build a nice hotel, and they did it. And they can bring uh, tourists to the area, and they can live with that, and uh, whatever. And they uh, they decided to draw to, to destroy their future. Is no logic anymore. And um, look what happened from Iran. What they, we don't have any problem with them. What they all every morning do you think how we destroyed Israel? Look, people from Hezbollah from Lebanon. We decided to withdraw from Lebanon. I was division commander. I fought. I arrived to Beirut when in eighty two and eighty second, and we we back. Why there are hundreds of thousand missiles ready to shoot Israel? Why? Why? They are going to, they, but they want to destroy our country. And we have solution for that. I hope uh, we will do it soon and strong and hard. And we'll do it. It's come from hatred. If you hit somebody, the dog. When he see the cat in the morning, he start to run to try to kill the cat. Am I right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't know why. He doesn't know why. And he starts to run. It's exactly here. It's exactly here. And when they will uh, realize that we are here and not, we are going not to move, maybe it takes a few generations, maybe not. But... Mm-hmm. In the morning, I have to be strong enough to protect myself. And this is exactly what we are doing. Yeah. We appreciate your your time, General Kahalani, and, and all your insights. We honor your legacy of courage and uh, stamina on the battlefield. I know, I think it was 18 days straight, you were fighting all the way to the gates of Damascus, and uh, they're fighting hard in Gaza right now for Israel's future, and we pray for them. And uh, just thank you for your time. We're going to show the people in just a minute a little more of your speech from the Feast of Tabernacles on the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in 1973. But God bless you, and all the best. Hope we thank see you again. Thank you. Thank you, David, and uh, we will meet each other. And good luck. That was uh, IDF Brigadier General Retired uh, Abigdor Kahalani. Uh, as you can tell, a, a very charming man, a real sense of humor, a realist, and a living legend in the way that he used about two dozen tanks to uh, kill off more than to destroy more than tw- uh, ten times that many Syrian tanks in the Yom Kippur War. Uh, we also want to play just a little bit here, about 10, 12 minutes of his address at our Feast of Tabernacles, give you a little more of the flavor of this uh, military hero in Israel and and really a, you know, a, a real symbol for his generation. Ben-Gurion decided to declare our country. My father, he was a soldier at that time, and he fought for the country for a year. And after a year, he came back home, and I was in the kindergarten. And he said, look, my oldest son, I have a present for you. 
asked him which kind of present to give me. He said, from today you have a homeland. From today you have a flag. From today we have a ceasefire. And you know, nobody will stop the refugees from Europe coming from Holocaust to Israel. And his was written in the Bible, is going to be quiet for 40 years. Is a joke in our country. Just give us two weeks quiet. No more than that. When he promised this is going to be 40 years for all, years quiet, he didn't know that he is going to fight again in 1956 on Sinai. And he didn't know that he is going to fight again in 67. And he found one tank in the middle of the road and fire. And he said, oh, I'm sorry for the crew in the tank. He didn't know that I was there. And he didn't know that he is going to fight again in 69, 70 near the Suez Canal. And when he gave me the present in 49, he didn't know that in 73, he would fight again with three children. Two of them didn't born when he already fought for the country. And my father is not naive, but he thought he achieved a dream. And this is the dream, our country. I'm not naive. I didn't promise my kids to uh, it's going to be quiet in our country. I became a soldier, and in uh, 62, I was in tank, uh, tank uh, uh, crew, and after the tank commander and officer, and I fought many times. In 67, I was the first Israeli tank crossing the border. You have to remember that. In our Independence Day, 15 of May, 67, Nasser, that he was the president of Egypt, decided suddenly, without any reason, to destroy our country. And we listened in the radio, tomorrow we are going to be in Tel Aviv. Tomorrow we are going to be in Tel Aviv. And I ran to Beersheba to take my tanks. I had 14 tanks and all the way to Gaza Strip. And I stopped there for three weeks. We have done mobilization. Nobody moved in the street. Nobody. We closed the factory. We closed the school. And we waited. And my soldiers came to me and said, Sir, how we will protect ourselves? We don't have a mask for guests. I said, I don't have a mask for you to protect yourself. In the 5th of June, remember that. Without any reason, King Hussein decided to shoot to Jerusalem. And I asked my wife at that time, go to your parents in Jerusalem. This is a safety place in the world. And the first shell was to Jerusalem. And we had to move one brigade from Sinai all the way to Jerusalem to invade the south, the um, uh, old city, and after that, Judea and Samaria, what the people call it, the world West Bank. The moment that I crossed the border in Egypt, I was the first Israeli tank. They hit my tank, I jumped to the second one. They hit the second one, I jumped to the third one. I found myself a big column behind me, like 50, 60 tanks around and they came, and I was the first Israeli tank, no maps, no infantry, no engineer, no, nothing. Just me, I told you, chief of staff. And I fought hard. It was a moment that I remember in Rafiah. It was a moment that I saw the Egyptian running away from us. 
and they took away the boots and all the beautiful dune on Sinai. You can see a picture for many, many boots, shoes all over. This is the picture that we have to remember and will remember from the 67 war. The result of this war means how they ran away. All the way I fought, and at the end of the day, my commander, they said, Avigdor, lead the brigade to El Arish, the capital. I was so proud. I was the youngest company commander. And I found myself in ambush, and suddenly, like a big hammer on my head, and all my tank was on fire. They evacuated me to the hospital seven hours. Sixty percent of my body was burned. Third degree. I was in the hospital a year. And I suffered a lot. When I finished the year, the army asked me, which way you are going? I said, I'm going back. I said, what? I said, I'm going back. And I took the paper, my medical profile is like a 20, and I changed it, I cleaned it up, and I wrote 97. 97 is the, the biggest soldier, and I came back to the tank. Two of my crew was killed at that time, and I became battalion commander. Remember the shoes of the dune? This is the reason that our government made mistake about the Yom Kippur War. I was battalion commander. I had 44 tanks. People said that it, uh, it was a surprise. No. Ten days before the war started, we moved all the way from Sinai to Golan Heights to protect. We fought hard. The ratio between them and us was 10 Syrian tanks against one Israeli. I lost many of my soldiers. I lost many of my tank. And you know, all my soldiers, most of them was 18 years old. The tank commander, like 19 years or no more, platoon leader, less than 20 years old, and they fought, and I look at them, said, from where they got the power to fight again and again and again, and I took the courage from them because I had experience, and I was scaring that maybe I have post-trauma from 67, but I continued to fight. The reason that we stopped the Syrian in the Golan Heights is because of nobody was behind us. If they invade to our country, they can move to the Galilee and nobody could stop them. And we fought again. The main problem that I had at that time is to lead my people to, to the front and to fight. We stopped them. We stopped them and we moved to Damascus and we stopped 35 kilometers from Damascus. And after a few years, I became division commander. I fought again in 82 and I arrived to Beirut when I was a general. I have two sons and one daughter, two sons tank commander, and one daughter, she served the Army Corps. I have grandchildren in the Army, and they serve in the Armour Corps, of course. And it's, it's like King Solomon have said, Shlomo HaMelech said, Dor holech medor ba vehaaretz leolam omedet. I don't know, you don't speak Hebrew. Let's ask King Solomon to translate it. And I will try to translate. One generation go, one generation come, and the land forever will stay. What does it mean? 
that we protect our country from generation to generation. My father fought for the country. I fought for the country. My children fought for the country. And my grandchildren now deserve the country for generation to generation to generation to generation. We pray every day. We pray that we want peace. My mother suffered a lot what happened to my brother. My brother was killed in 73. The mother of my wife, she suffered twice. She lost two sons in the world. And we suffer, we want peace. We are ready to do everything for peace. But the question is to be or not to be. To be here or to run away from here. And I'm going to stay here forever. And we know we will suffer a lot in the future. We know that. I try, I met Arafat twice. He fell in love with me. That's because I was so handsome. And uh, I met Abu Mazen was in my house. And I, t I gave him my hand and I said, please have a peace. I'm ready for that. I'm not extremely. I didn't achieve that. Why? They don't like me. Not me, myself. My mother, she used to tell me that I'm a very nice person. I'm talking about us. And we have... Nobody start to build the bridge between them and us. Nobody. And we pray that we have... We can live together. We can live together. When I was in the kindergarten, I used to be there. Thank you very much for what you have done for the country. Yeah, I had the privilege of introducing General Ka'alani at our feast, and it was just a real pleasure to have him uh, here uh, again today. I just found talking to him encouraging in the midst of the current war we're in. I hope you found that enlightening and encouraging, too. Our time is up for today. I want to remind you, tune in tomorrow at 3 p.m. Israel time. We're going to talk about the secret of Israel's resilience, how despite Israel's divisions and diversity and all, the nation always comes together to face the many challenges it has. We'll be talking to Saul Singer, who uh, co-wrote the book uh, Startup Nation. They got a new book out, The Genius of Israel, about uh, uh, Israel's resilience despite its di internal divisions and all the troubles around it. So join us for that. And God bless you from Jerusalem.